All right, we are in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, starting in verse 5 of Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good and gracious God. We thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, serve you and serve your kingdom. We thank you that we can um, come together as a church and do something like Operation Christmas Child and send out hundreds of boxes uh, to bless uh, kids throughout the world. We pray you would do that. We, pray, we thank you that we can come and, and serve our uh, community with a fall party and be a blessing to them, and the gospel can go forth there, and many uh, people can hear it. We continue to pray for those seeds of the gospel that have been planted, that they would bear much, much fruit. We thank you, Lord, that we can have uh, a Christmas program where we can invite friends and family, and they can hear the gospel. Father, we want to be busy about the work that you give us to do. So let us be busy about it. And even as we enter um, kind of the next month that can get a little bit busier than the rest of the year for most of us, may we continue to keep our eyes focused on you, keep our hearts set on things above, and in just the, the busyness of everything, Lord, let us make sure that you are still front and center. Lord, bless us now as we continue on. Help us to hear from you uh, through the preaching of your word to your glory. Amen. All right, so the church has two main tasks that it's given, and those end up getting flushed out in a whole bunch of different ways. But the two main tasks that we're given, it's in the Great Commission. We are to basically preach the gospel, and then when people get saved, we're supposed to disciple them. So we're preaching, and we are discipling. And so one of the things that happened is that Paul is going on these missionary journeys. God is using him. He's bringing people along with him to help aid him. Some of those people we hear about, but some of them that we don't. But, but what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel, and then he's planting those churches. And then he, sometimes he's spending time there just for a few weeks. Sometimes he's there for a few months. Sometimes he's actually there for a few years. And what is he doing while he's there? He's building up the church. He is discipling them. So the church has two main tasks. Preach the gospel, build up the church. Preach the gospel, disciple the nations. So the Gentiles, when the gospel is preached, what happens? People get saved. Do they always get saved? No, not always. But do, you get, do people get saved by the preaching of the gospel? Yep. And, and how does that happen? It's by the Holy Spirit. But words have to be used, right? I mean, words have to be used. 
Look briefly, we'll come back to Colossians, but just I want you to see this. Look at Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 11. Romans 10 verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. That's similar to what we just read in Colossians. No distinction between Jew and Greek. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What book is he quoting from? What did someone say? Joel. Joel. Good job. He's quoting from the book of Joel. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Okay, so first question, how then will they call on him in who they have not believed? So you have to believe. You're going to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You've got to believe. But then the next question, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Well, you can't, you can't believe in someone if you've never heard of them. So then the question is, okay, how do we get them to hear about Jesus? Well, the next question, how are they to hear without someone preaching? So people are going and they're using their words. Next question, verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? So we want, we want people to get saved. We've got to send people. We're getting ready to send the cooks here in a few weeks. We want people to get saved. Not just here in, in the St. Charles area, not just in Missouri, not just in the U.S. We want people saved worldwide. Amen? So we send people to do that. Justice and I just got back from Belize. We're preaching the gospel there. We're doing the two tasks that the church is given to do. We're preaching the gospel. That was one of the things that we did. I'll talk about it later, but that, that was one of the things that we did. So he goes on. As it is written, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What's he quoting there? Isaiah. Isaiah, are you cheating? You are cheating a little bit. Okay. <laughs> He's got footnotes in his Bible. That's okay. The footnotes aren't inspired, right? <laughs> but they, they can help. So Isaiah he's quoting, and then he goes on, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing. So people, if, if people are going to have a saving faith, they have to hear about this faith that can save them. They have to hear the gospel. They have to hear the good news. And hearing through the word of Christ. So it can't just be our words. It has to be the words of Christ. It has to be the words of God. He goes on, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for the voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is true for all of us. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Listen, back to verse 12, there's no distinction between the Jew and Greek. We're all guilty before God. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and we are in desperate need of his Savior. We trust in Jesus, we repent of our sins, God is gracious 
to give us eternal salvation. He's give, gracious to give us a, a, a forgiveness of sins, and then not only that, but to give us his righteousness. So as Gentiles were getting saved, they, didn't, they had not been brought up with the Old Testament. They had not been brought up with the scriptures. So I mentioned this earlier. How do you disciple them? Well, the early church began to, to put in a process of discipling them. We might call it today catechism. So did they. Uh, it's actually from the Greek word. It's like a teaching, instruction. So they came down to basically four key words. We've been primarily looking at the first key word, which is put off. All these things that we're supposed to put off. Gentiles are supposed to put them off. Jews are supposed to put them off. No distinction. Everyone is supposed to put these things off. So the, the four key words, and we'll, we'll get to the others as we go on, but this first key word is put off. And so look at, and I know some versions translate it a little bit differently uh, than the ESV, but the ESV kind of makes it a little nice because it always uses the word put on the different things that we're supposed to put off. So in, in verse 5, back in Colossians, you can see that we're supposed to put to death whatever is earthly in you. In verse 8, it says, put them all away. And then in verse 9, we're supposed to put off the old self. So these are things that you rid yourself of. You don't do them. Any of them. You don't do them. Or if you're doing them, what are you supposed to do? You stop. You stop doing them. So God has certain things that he doesn't want his children doing. Do you believe this? So for believers, listen, it's not just a matter of intellect. You, you know it's true. You, you can know it's true, but it becomes a matter of volition. Will you live it out? Will you live it out? How many of you, your entire Christian walk, you've woken up every morning, and every single day you're like, I want to live for the Lord? None of you. Me neither. Why? Because uh, sometimes like our emotions are all, all over the place, and sometimes we might not feel like living for the Lord. Guess what? Nobody's hand was up. So if you ever feel like that, like you're in a company of normal, regular believers. We all have times like that. We all have times like that. And sometimes we can go through seasons where it feels like, man, this is just a drag and a drag and a drag and a drag. We all go through times like that. Every single believer has been through a season where it has been very, very challenging emotionally to want to serve the Lord. What, what drives you on? Well, ultimately, God by his Holy Spirit. You've been enlivened by the Holy Spirit. So what, is the, what does the Spirit do in your life? He produces what? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So he, he's producing that. So even in, in, in your uh, emotional like downturns or downswings, like the Spirit is still alive in you, and he's still working. But we also know that it's not, just a, it's not just, we don't ground our faith or our beliefs on our emotions. Otherwise, one day we believe, believe this, and the next day we believe that, and the next day we believe that. I mean, we'd be all over the map. We'd be all over the map. Well, we're, we're grounding it in the objective truths of the Scripture. Not on emotion. Not even on our own intellect. 
Not even on our own will. It's what God says. This is, this is the a priori, if you will. This is what comes first. From there is what God does for us. It's what he's doing in us and what he's doing through us. So that salvation, that, that's the gift of God, and he fills us with his spirit, and then what does he want us to do? Be holy as what? Be holy as I'm holy. Walk in accordance. All these things, when we see these things we're not supposed to do, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, uh, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, those we're finding out about the character of God, and, and those are things that would not describe God. So therefore, it shouldn't describe us. Think about that for a moment. When we get these lists of things we're not supposed to do, we're finding out about who God is. He's not these things. So therefore, he, he doesn't want his children doing those things. None of those words you'd ever, you'd ever use, except maybe the wrath, um, but none of those words you'd ever use really to describe God. He's not slanderous. He doesn't have obscene talk coming from his mouth. There's no sexual immorality there. There's no evil desire. No. And so when we get these lists, what we're seeing is when God says, hey, this is how I want you to live. Why? Because he wants us to be holy. And so we're finding out about the heart of God, even in these lists that tell us what not to do. So, realize there are certain things God doesn't want us doing, and realize there's certain things God does want us doing. Now, sometimes you hear people say, Christianity, it's not a, about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Or Christianity isn't about a bunch of commands. Now, if the primary message is a list of don'ts, well, then you've missed the message. And if the primary message is a list of do's, then, then you've missed the message. The, the gospel is the primary message. The good news that Jesus Christ came, he's on the rescue mission, he lays down his life for us, and forgiveness of sins is offered freely to all who would believe and trust. The gospel is primary. It changes everything. But we do need to be careful when we're explaining to people, believer or unbeliever, we need to be careful that we just don't water down everything, that it's just like, oh, if you just trust, then you can live like the devil. We need to make sure that the primary is the primary, but not to leave out, at times, the secondary. So be careful in explaining the life of a believer to others so that they don't get the idea that nothing is required of them. Otherwise, you end up with cheap grace. God has given us a new life. So what comes with new life? Well, with new life comes new ways, new habits, new patterns, new thinking, new living. So here's how it goes. New creations act like new creatures. New creations act like new creatures. So that message the primary message is the message that we take. The task of the church is what we take here, but it's also what we take afar. So, you know, what are we doing in Belize? Well, we're doing in Belize the thing, same thing we're doing here. We're preaching the gospel. And we're building up the church. Whatever else we might do, and we've done a whole lot of things in Belize, but whatever else we might do, it has to include those things. Because that's the task given to the church. 
Think about the primary test Paul had on his mission trips. Again, it was really twofold. Preach the gospel, build up those that get saved, disciple them. So what did we do in Belize in our, in our brief time there this past week? Well, we were able to meet with three pastors and, and encourage them. Pastor Ed, Pastor West, Pastor Smith. And we had a good time with each one of them. And we discussed and worked on what our future in Belize looks like, near and far. We had some really good in-depth conversations uh, with Pastor Smith, had some really good conversations uh, with, with Pastor Ed. And we also had an opportunity uh, to serve the church and serve with the church. So it just happened that Pastor Ed's church was doing a fundraiser, and they were making 235 to-go meals. And those, you know, uh, they have like the same type of little styrofoam things where you got the little compartments for the food, you know. Um, and so Justice and I ended up making 235 meals. Um, not quite single-handedly, but at times it sure felt like that. Because we were dishing out the potato salad, the onions, the beans, the tortillas, and the forks. And someone else was doing the rice and the meat. I actually really had a good time doing it. We were doing it with people that only spoke Spanish, except for one of them. So there's definitely, uh, there's probably some really good sermon illustrations there, but it was challenging. <laughs> it was very challenging at times when uh, um, there's uh, a room full of people and they're all speaking Spanish, and they kept saying the word pastores. And I'm like, they're talking about us. <laughs> I was like, afterwards, I was like, I know there's like some type of, you know, like meat, al pastor or something, and so I was asking Pastor Ed, I'm like, was there anything that we were like serving that would have been called like pastor? And he's like, no. I'm like, Every couple minutes, pastores, pastores, you know, they'd be talking about us. I guess at least they were doing it in front of us, right? <laughs> All right, but so we're, we're serving the church. Um, look at what it says in Acts 15. Acts 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And then a few verses later, it says in verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I mean, it's a, you know, part of his second mission trip. He's strengthening the churches. He's seen how they're doing. That's part of what we were doing, just to see how people were doing, touch base with them, encourage them. We also preached the word. I was uh, privileged to preach at Pastor Ed's church and at Pastor Smith's church. Also was able to lead a men's group uh, as well while we were there. So we're, we're preaching the word, literally, preaching the word. We also got to minister to, uh, to some believers and even challenge them a little bit. We checked on the work that we had done this summer to see how that was going. As you know, we set up some solar panels um, for one of the members down there, so we just wanted to see how they're going. By the way, they're doing amazing. We were walking up to the house, and we can hear um, a little radio playing. So we're like, hey, they must be working. So it was good. It was good. Um, why are these things important? Because we're fulfilling the Great Commission. We are being obedient. We are being obedient. And what's part of the going? It's making disciples. What, what's part of going? Well, it's actually baptizing them. When you think about it, you know, there's two sacraments or ordinances, if you want to call them. There's 
baptism, and there's the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the sacrament of our ongoing participation in Christ, but baptism is the sacrament of our incorporation into Christ. So you have incorporation into Christ, you have the Lord's Supper, ongoing participation. What does the baptism signify? It signifies our union with Christ. Does your union with Christ have a definite beginning? Yes. It has a definite beginning. Okay, this is why you get baptized to signify, to symbolize, to show, to proclaim that, hey, something has happened. There's new life. There's new life. So the baptism, it, it's a one-time thing. You get baptized once as a believer. Why? Because you, you get the new life once. Right? New life once. Baptized once. Why are you regularly taking communion? Because it signifies our fellowship with Christ. And our fellowship with Christ is ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. So our regular participation in communion is showing that. And a key part of taking the Lord's Supper, it's, it's continually identifying with our Savior. The baptism is that initial time, but as we come up to the table each time, we're signifying that we're still, we're still in that fellowship. We're still identifying with our Savior. So we see that back in Colossians, our new life is marked in this first set of verses that we've been looking at. It's marked by an absence of earthly things. That would be the things we see in verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. But it's also marked by the absence of earthly words. Put them all away, verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your life. Part of what is being focused on in verse 8, those things have to do with how we interact with one another as believers in Christ. It's relationships. The Christian life is meant to be done with other believers. Think about the early church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? The fellowship. The fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. But it's the fellowship. The fellowship. So it's that koinonia is, is the Greek word. A fellowship, not just like a fellowship. No, it's, it's the fellowship that is like a universal fellowship that every believer has with every other believer. If someone is saved, if someone knows Jesus, like you have a fellowship with them. It's the fellowship. And I understand relationships, they can be challenging and hard. But a lot of times, if we're not careful, we, we focus on all the negative aspects and how difficult it is to do relationships. Listen, relationships can also be very rewarding. They can be very uplifting. And you're going through a challenging time, it is good to have friends. It is good to be, have people that walk with you, that support you, that care for you, that will hold up your arms when you can no longer lift anything yourself. So relationships can be, can be challenging, but they can also be very rewarding and uplifting. Some of you have gotten burned from relationships. Well, guess what? I have too. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in forgiveness. And don't let that put a, a disdain uh, a, a, a bad taste in your mouth for, for future relationships. We're built for 
relationships. We are built for them. Here's the thing. The new life that, that Christ has given us is not something automatic. It's not something that just occurs without any effort on our part. Here's what one theologian said. The process of fully becoming detached from the old and fully belonging to the new remains to be painfully and laboriously completed. So there's going to be effort. There's going to be effort. If you've been walking in disobedience and walking in sin for many, 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 many years, you've trained yourself to do that. And you have the new life and you have the strength to break those chains, but it's kind of back to the relationships. Sometimes we need other people coming alongside us and helping us and ministering to us and helping us break some of those chains. We need people keeping us accountable. We need people walking with us. We need people encouraging us, challenging us, and simply being there with us. So the new life, while we're given it immediately upon salvation, like walking that out, I got saved when I was 18 years old. A whole lot of sin before that. A whole lot of strongholds. And some of them I knew right away I was supposed to get rid of. And some of them right away I was able to get rid of. Others just had like the chains on me and it took many years of God's grace to break things like anger, like malice, to break those and slowly bring me about. Some things very quickly. Some things a little bit slower. A little, was progress being made? Yes. But it was a little bit slower. Here's the thing. I want you to notice back in Colossians. Notice what occurs with the work of Christ in your life. Verse 10, you have put on the new self. That's the initial salvation. But then there's this idea of a continual renewal. You have put on the new self, salvation, which is being renewed. So it's this ongoing action. It's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Sanctification is the idea there. You are new but you're also being renewed. Like I said, new creatures act like new creations. And what, do the, what does this newness bring? We find out in verse 11. It tears down barriers. It tears down these barriers. Look at these barriers. Greek and Jew. Racial barrier breaks it down. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Religious barrier breaks it down. Barbarian, Scythian, cultural barrier breaks it down. Slaver free, social barrier breaks it down. So that what? Christ is all and in all. Brothers and sisters, Christians, Christians have the real thing. And all men... Jesus says in John 13, we'll know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. If you love one another. Well, if these barriers are taken down by Christ, then what does that mean? 
Well, it means there can be a unity between the races. It means that there can be a unity among the cultures. It means there can be unity among different social classes. That's possible in Christ. You look at Hinduism, like a caste system is built into Hinduism. And you basically have like the lowest of the low is like deplorables. And whatever caste you're born into, you don't get, you don't get out of. You can't get out of. You can't get out of it. Why? Because their worldview says that whatever life you previously lived has earned you the position in the current caste that you're, you find yourself in. Whatever spot you find in the caste system, you, whatever you did in the previous life earned you there. So you, if you're the deplorable, then whatever you did in the previous life must have been really awful, so you deserve that. You deserve to be at the bottom. What is Christianity's worldview? No, there's a world of sin. And, 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 and humanity is completely fallen. And so there's sin that is rampant and all sorts of evil things that occur. And people find themselves, sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly, in some awful situations. Not because of some past life they lived, but because of sin. Sin. It might have been sin that they didn't even themselves commit. But there's sin. And so what happens is, is, is different people criticize Christianity and, and blame God. Listen, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is, this is not the world that God originally created. His world was a perfect world. This is why foundations matter. This is why the Bible matters. Like, we find out the truth in Genesis. God created the world, and it was what? It was good. It was good. No sin in it. It was a good world. And then what happens? Sin enters. How did it enter? Through one man's disobedience, Romans. And then the whole thing runs off the rails. But, but what do we see also? God promises deliverance. He promises deliverance for us, but also for his own creation. He is coming to renew it. So what we have is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God created it. But when in Christ, we, we, we find out that all these different relationships that have barriers almost automatically built in, they're turned upside down, and there's no more barriers. Do you ever wonder why Islam has so many terrorist groups? Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the list goes on and on. Where's all the Christian terrorist groups? Not sure there are any. I'm sure there are groups that might be terrorists that claim to be Christian, but you don't have large swaths of thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people that commit atrocious acts in the name of Christianity. Why? Because Christianity is not a religion of terror. You can't get a worldview of death and destruction and terror from the Bible. You can't. Not if you're being honest with the text. You can't do it. So Jesus tears these barriers down. So the Jew and the Gentile, they're not at enmity. The slave and the free aren't at enmity. Circumcised, uncircumcised, not at enmity. Barbarian, Scythian, not at enmity. How is that possible? Because of Christ. 
It is possible because of Christ. So he tears down barriers. First, he tears down barriers between us and God, right? We put up the barrier, the wall of hostility, as Ephesians talks about. We have this wall of hostility. What does Christ come do? He tears down the barrier. He tears down the wall. So we have access to the Father. Think of what is, you know, when Jesus uh, is crucified on the cross, right? The, 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 the veil is torn. Symbolizing access to the Father. Access to the Father. So that's the, the, the first barrier, but he also tears down barriers that men have with one another. So that we can be in the fellowship with one another. And listen, here's the thing. The new life, it, it's not just, oh, I'm going to heaven. It's not just, oh, I have this relationship with Jesus. It's not just, I'm forgiven of my sins. It is much, 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 much more. And sometimes we just forget everything that comes after our salvation. Yes, that is the beginning of the new creation that you are, but you have a new life that entails so, so, so much more. And all authentic believers have this new life with new spiritual sensitivities and new spiritual abilities and wonderful new possibilities, not just in the life to come, but in this life, in this life. So that's why he says back in verse 10, we're growing in knowledge. We're being renewed in this knowledge after the image of its creator. What does that mean for us? Well, look for a moment at 2 Corinthians 4. Are you all there? What does this mean for us? Verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. All right, the older you get, the more you can relate to that outer self wasting away. I mean, it's just true. Okay? How I feel at 47 is different than how I felt at 27. And probably different than how I feel at 67. The outer self is wasting away. That's just a reality of life. But what's going on? The inner self is being renewed day by day. So you can see someone who is very weak and frail from all external appearances, but they can be very, very, very strong in the spirit. Why? Because God's done an amazing work in them. And for years and years and years and years, what? Verse 10, they've been being renewed after the image of their creator, walking in his ways day after day after day. So then look at 2 Corinthians 3, and we see the same thing. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Right? I mean, and the imagery here that he just talks about earlier is Moses in the Old Testament. He goes into the tabernacle. What does he put on? He puts the veil on. Right? Why? He, he couldn't really withstand the full glory of God. He's got the veil on. What is Paul saying? For us, the veil is removed. Verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So then he goes on. That's his conclusion in verse 18. With unveiled face, we can behold the glory of the Lord. 
Now here, how are we seeing it? Through that glass dimly. But one day, face to face. Face to face. And here's my point. Our new life in Christ doesn't start in heaven. It starts right now. The day you got saved, you got that new life. So you've been set free. You are not in the chains of bondage. Look briefly at Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, there, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So for freedom Christ has set us free. If you are in Christ, you are free. You're free. You're not in slavery to sin. You're not in slavery to the devil. You've been set free. Free to what? To serve Christ. You're going to have one of two masters. You're going to be having Satan as your master or having Christ as your master. You're going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. That's what, I mean, that's, that's 2 Corinthians stuff right there. So which is it going to be? Which one are you going to choose? Well, we're being reminded here, for freedom Christ has set us free. Freedom what? Freedom to live for Christ that we can actually put these things to death, that we can actually put them away, that we can actually kill our sin. Why? Because the chains of bondage have been broken. Don't be like the Israelites. What they, what they want to do? They're, they're, they're out in the wilderness, and they're like, oh, if we, if we could just go back to Egypt. If we could just go back to Egypt, life would be so much better. And they start like listing the different things. Those things don't even sound good. Leeks and onions. And I'm like, really? That's what you're longing for? <clears throat> but that, that, they're having a pity party. They're having a pity party. And they're not seeing things through the lens of Christ. So don't be like the Israelites. Longing to go back. Look, <clears throat> sometimes it might feel like uh, we're wandering around in the desert. There can be some dry times and some challenging times. But guess what? The cloud was there during the day and the fire of pillar at night, reminding the Israelites that God was still there. Listen, we, we have a daily reminder that God is with us. His Spirit living inside us. We've got His Word teaching us each step of the way. The Holy Spirit living inside us, producing His fruit. So don't be like the Israelites. Don't long for Egypt. So why do we put these things off? Because we have a new self. Because we have new relationships. Look back in Colossians. He says, verse 7, in these two you once walked. These are things you used to do. They don't describe you anymore. They're not characteristic of who you are. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. You've got the once that you were doing these things, and now what? You're putting other things away. Why? Because you have the image of Christ. You are the image of Christ. You have the new life that God has given you. God doesn't want you in bondage. He wants you walking in the freedom that it is in Christ. No fear, no addiction, 
Listen, I was, I was at Walmart the other day, walking down one of those main aisles, <clears throat> and I would, had just gone in there to get one item that I needed uh, to, to make the food for life group. So I was like making a beeline in there and making a beeline out, which is kind of funny because I was picking up honey. Um, <laughs> so I was making a beeline, and I was, as I was walking out, um, I'm walking past one of the aisles, and someone yells, Sir! And I'm like, certainly they're not talking to me <clears throat> because I'm making a beeline and I'm not even looking at anybody. And I, real quick, she, the person's like, sir. And I keep walking and she's like, sir. I'm like, past the aisle now. So I'm like, I guess I'm going to go back and see who's yelling at me. Um, because usually, like, I feel like 99% of the time when that happens, like they're talking to someone else, right? So I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm in a rush. So I really don't even have time. And Anyway, I go back. And it's this elderly lady, and she's like, come get me this item. Like, barking orders at me like she's the general, you know, commanding her troops. And so I go over there, and she can't reach, you know, this, um, you know, frozen dinner. So I get it, and she's like, make sure it's not a dented box. I'm like, I'm going to let you inspect it, (laughs) ma'am. I'm like smiling the whole time. I just thought the whole situation was just like hilarious that... You know, this elderly lady is just yelling at random strangers to help her. Uh, usually you're like, hey, could you possibly help me reach this? No. She's yelling at me when I'm not even looking. At, I'm not even in her aisle. Anyway, she inspects the two boxes. You know, they're fine. We move on. I get my honey. I get out of there. But here's the thing. I was kind of reflecting on that because sometimes, like, the Lord is trying to get our attention. And, and we're like, All right, that's not for me. That's not for me. And so we can, we can be hearing the word preached. And oh, that's not for me. No, I believe in a sovereign God. And I've been in all sorts of different churches, here and abroad, and heard all sorts of different sermons. And the thing I always tell myself is, the Lord has me here for a reason today. And if I'm hearing the word preached, then certainly, if the word is being read... If the word is going forth, if the word is being preached, there is something there that God wants me to hear today. And then take it and apply it. But oftentimes, if we're not careful, we're like, oh, that's a good word for for Joe over there. Or that's a good word for Julie over there. It's not for us. Or, you know, more likely, that's a word for my wife, right? No, the word is for us. The word is for us. Let the Holy Spirit deal with Joe and Julie and your spouse and let him deal with you. He's trying to get your attention at times and if we're honest, we can be very hard of hearing. And if we're honest, sometimes we ignore the word. So let's repent of that. Let's push that aside. And let's be people who want the word. We're the new creation So we can receive the word and we can actually do something with it. We can receive it and we can live it out because we have a merciful God who just doesn't tell us to do things and then doesn't give us the ability to do it. It's the truth. It's the truth. Okay, we have the spirit that strengthens us. We have, we are the new creation. We're the new creature. New creations can do things that old creations can't. They can walk in obedience. They can shine the light of Christ. 
They can be filled with the glory of Christ that it just exudes from them, and people see it. And God is glorified. So let's hear the word and then walk in accordance with it. Let's pray. Father, I pray whoever's attention you wanted to get today, that you would have got it. I pray each person here would have had something that you gave for them to chew on, to think about, to ponder, to start doing, to stop doing, whatever it might be. And they would heed it, whatever it might be. They would listen. And help us to be a people, Lord, and at times we're not, so forgive us, but help us to be a people where you get our attention the first time and we stop what we're doing and we listen. We heed what you're wanting to instruct us about, what you're wanting to encourage us about, what you're wanting to correct us about. Help us to be a people like that. And we thank you that you are a good and gracious Father who loves us so much that you do get our attention. You love us enough that you want us walking in accordance with your word. And you loved us and demonstrated your love that you sent your own son to die for us. Thank you, Father. Amen.